Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode four of the Archerpreneur Now podcast. I'm your host, Heath Armstrong. Today's guest made a huge leap from being a full-time lawyer to becoming a mindfulness, meditation, and yoga teacher. Find out why that was so important to her and so much more right now. Here we go now. Who wants to get funky? Who wants to get a little creative out there? Which one of you want to get a little bit artsy now? Well then get on with your bad self. Joining us from the West Coast, Best Coast in San Francisco, California. She used to be an attorney, but not anymore. She teaches mindfulness, she teaches meditation, and she teaches yoga. Everybody give a warm, energetic welcome to Kim Nichols. Kim, you are the entrepreneur now. How are you doing, Kim? I'm doing really good, Heath. I'm psyched <laughs> to be here. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Kim, I, I am extremely psyched for you to be here because you have done some powerful things uh, to change my life, and we can get into all that in a minute. But before we start, Kim, i just like to start the segment off with a little section called the Breezy Threes so our audience can get to know your creative side a little bit. Yeah. So what are your three favorite creative works? So one of them is the collected poems of Dorothy Parker. And she's one of my favorite authors. And she wrote a lot of great short fiction as well. But her poems are fantastic because they're, I mean, they're sort of a kick in the pants. They all start out with a particular tone. And there's always like a little twist of surprise and a little bit of this like cynicism, um, but like an edge of optimism around it. And when I was in my early 20s and going through a lot of um, a lot of heartache, there was like a lot of heartache in my 20s, I would read her poems and they would just make me feel better. So Dorothy Parker is for sure on that list. Um, and then the other two, one is this book by this uh, 13th century Persian poet. It's called The Gift. And the poet is Hafez. And when I was volunteering in hospice and working with uh, people at the end of life, I would often read some of the poems uh, from Hafez. And they, even though they're hundreds of years old, you know, they're still so true about the beauty and sacredness of life. And being reminded of that in these really short, beautiful poems um, is something that's become a favorite of mine. Yeah. And then the other, I would say, uh, is actually like a building, if we can include that in, you know, a creative work. Definitely. Um, but in San Francisco, at the top of Knob Hill, there is this uh, cathedral. It's called Grace Cathedral. And it's at the top of, you know, the, the highest hill in San Francisco. Or I don't know if it's the actual highest, but it feels like it by the time <laughs> you walk up like that very steep incline. And it's just this beautiful, spacious, peaceful place kind of above 
the hustle and bustle of the city. And in this cathedral, there's a labyrinth. And it's the kind that lies flat on the floor. And you follow this winding path, this kind of circuitous path with all of these curves and turns. And it's like this moving meditation. And you follow the path into the center and then you rest for a moment, you take a breath, you take a few moments to reflect, and then you follow the same path out. So that's the kind of labyrinth that's there. Um, and it's just one of my favorite, like one of my favorite creative places. Wow, that does sound creative. I need to check that out next time I'm in San Francisco. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so who are your three biggest role models or influencers? So my mom is definitely one of them, and she's just had an incredible life um, filled with adventure and challenge and love and discovery, and she grew up in the Philippines, and the story, you know, the stories that I grew up with, with hearing her life and hearing um, how she managed to really transform and change her life from working in the sugarcane fields, right? In this very rural, very, um, like very humble, uh, place and then going to school and, you know, eventually creating a new school in her village and then eventually like rising up through all of these different organizations. And then, you know, like the story of meeting my dad and then coming to the U S And all of these changes and new horizons that she met in this really fearless way always inspired me. Wow. So she for sure is number one. Um, And number two would be my dad because he had sort of a a very similar but different story where he grew up in the Midwest and didn't see the ocean until I think he was 27. And he had joined the Peace Corps because he wanted to see the world. And he traveled around the world coaching international track and field teams and had all of these adventures. So when I was a kid, I grew up hearing these incredible stories from both of my parents. And I just assumed that that's like what every kid's (laughs) (laughs) bedtime story was, you know, was about coaching track and field at the Olympics or about, um, you know, working in, you know, in these sugarcane fields or about you know, these, these big, you know, parties like out on the farm and those two different perspectives of, of, of life from my my parents in terms of, you know, the world is an amazing place and you should go out and see it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and it's okay to take risks and it's okay to, to try things though. Those two perspectives have definitely infused my approach, um, to life, which I know we'll talk about later. And then my third one, that's a good question. I feel like my third one, and you know, hopefully this isn't uh, too too much of a letdown for you guys, but it might be my brother. (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. Uh, Keeping it all in the family, but he is one of my favorite people on this planet. And he's also an artist um, and has like a job that is his job and he gets to like have his job brain there. But then beyond that, he has always inspired me by just the, the joy and commitment with which he creates. 
and there's a part of my brain and, and, you know, being an artist and having this creative drive, there's a part that I always have struggled with, which is around self-doubt and around, you know, like, who am I to do this stuff? And my brother's more like, I'm going to do this because this is, this is just like this desire that, that I have that I want to create and because it's fun. And so whenever I feel, you know, some hesitation or I'm feeling like a little bit uncertain, he becomes one of my go-to role models where I think like, oh, like just be like Keith, you know, he just makes stuff because it feels good and allow myself that same permission. Well, that, that, that is wonderful to share. And, and I think that you've had the, the joy of being surrounded by people that are happy and like-minded and it, it is infectious or infectious. Yeah. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. So do you have a bucket list? I don't have a formal bucket list. Do you have a creative bucket list? But you know, I mean, well, yeah. Okay. So I have like a <laughs> list of things. I think of it in terms of, yeah, if, if I die, before I accomplish these things, I'm going to be a little bit bummed out. <laughs> I'm going to be like, what? You had this life and you didn't do these things, but like, why else were you there? <laughs> like, you, you were alive and you didn't do these things. That's, that's actually a more logical way to put it, I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've had adventures and I've traveled and I've, you know, like, like done all kinds of interesting random things. Um, and sometimes those adventures just come up and, and you take them because they're fun and they're there and it's, it's a, an exciting opportunity. Um, you know, like I was, I was a volunteer at the Olympics in 1996. Um, I worked at World Cup soccer in 94. Uh, I you know, was a college athlete, like I've studied abroad. I've done all kinds of those things. But for me, my bucket list in terms of creativity comes down to writing. Um, and that is one of my closest, like closest to my heart practices. And it's around wanting to write and then share more of those writings with others. So it's, it's writing the poems, it's writing the books. Um, and for me, I think it really all comes down to that, that aspect of my creative life. Yeah, well, please do continue writing because I get... <laughs> Ultra excited when I get that email update from from the blog. So thank you. And I'm sure that there's way more people than me that do. <laughs> yeah, you know it's interesting. A big part of my journey is learning how to let go of needing other people to read or or somehow consume the work because I create better work when I let go of that concern and anxiety. You know, and of course, there's a part that like I'm creating it in part because I want to share it with others and I want others to be able to experience a little bit of how I also see the world. Like that's part of what I want to share. Um, and at the same time, if I get into that place of thinking too much about, will people like this, you know, will they read it? What if they don't read it? It can be really paralyzing. So I've had to, I mean, it's interesting because a lot of what I do is I teach meditation and mindfulness. And partly because I've learned in my own life, it's a really useful skill mm -hmm. set. <laughs> it's a very useful practice. What is amazing about you, I think, is that you kind of teach people who aren't really that likely to meditate uh, on their own or to go out and discover it on their own, like lawyers or bankers or, you know, me. You're not just out there <laughs> teaching hippies that were, you know, born and bred into it. 
Um, and you're teaching them to find that ease and power and clarity in their life that can change everything. Yeah. And, you know, my, my first impression of meditation, it was a bit skewed because I was out with a couple good friends and we went to a little music festival up at Topanga Canyon down in California. And <laughs> it was somewhat of a cult there, I think, that was putting uh-huh. that on that we didn't know about. But, oh, you know, we're kind of in there and we got entry by trading some strawberries or something. And uh-huh. and there's a lot of normal, well, I wouldn't say normal, but people like us that were there also. And yeah. then there were just this, these cult-like people, but they were all meditating. I mean, you know, for hours upon hours sitting there. And I remember looking up on this, this hill and it was kind of above everybody else. And there's just this naked dude up there holding a burning <laughs> pot of, yeah, he's just, he's just standing up there holding a burning pot of sage, you know, like while yeah. meditating with the yeah. other hand. And I, that was my first impression. And I was like, that man, these people very are. Relatable? <laughs> you didn't say, yes. oh my gosh, I want to be the man with the pot of burning sage. <laughs> well, I mean, somewhere deep down, I, that's exactly what I said, but you know, it took me yeah. a while to get there and accept it. <laughs> Yep. I totally get it. And I, I love that you were a person who was not really into meditation because that was me too. I was not into it. It seemed boring. Like the idea you sit and you just close your eyes and you do what? Just hang out. It seemed there was zero appeal to me. And it's funny because I actually did grow up in a real hippie town and I always kind of rebelled against the hippiness. Like I was this very, you know, straight laced. You know, Is that how you got into the the attorney career field? <laughs> that might have had something to do with it. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, that the kind of my whole image of like the hippie movement was very unappealing to me. You know, I didn't like the smell of patchouli and incense. You know, I didn't <laughs> like the tie dye. And it just felt like these are people who are not being really productive in the world. They're just kind of hanging out, you know, feeling cool, just connecting to like nature and I felt zero interest in that I'm like no like there's stuff to do like people have to get stuff done and you know I like why would you just sit around and then you know growing up into this world with all this technology you know there's all this email and there's all this work and there are all these things that have to happen so I was never drawn to meditation and in fact just thought it was like for hippies and losers (laughs) Like that was my inner, my inner, uh, you know, my inner perception. And what changed for me was I had a friend and she said, Kim, you know, I think you would really like this meditation teacher that I go to. You should come check him out. And I'm like, no, (laughs) I don't do meditation. That's not for me. She's like, no, no, this is different. I think you're really going to dig it. So she was a friend and I said, all right, you know, I'll, I'll check it out once. And it was so cool. I mean, for the first for the first thing, we we sat in chairs. We didn't even sit on the floor. And this was a revelation because my whole image was, oh, people who meditate, you have to sit on the floor cross-legged. Yeah. And to fe- to feel like, oh, you mean meditation can happen in a chair like where I can be comfortable? That was a huge thing. But another big part was that a lot of our group class was around conversation of how do we experience life and how do we think about life and how do we meet the challenges and also fully receive and experience the blessings 
that come and go with life, this idea of things coming and going and impermanence and, you know, willingness to show up in a full way for whatever life is unfolding for you. And then we would do a guided meditation and these guided meditations, it was like, wow, this is amazing. I'm having all of these thoughts. I'm having all these emotions and it would change like my inner weather you know, like I yeah. could come into meditation feeling stressed out and distracted and just very agitated. And after five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I feel like I just had this like three hour spa treatment. You know, I just felt relaxed. I felt confident. I felt happy. I felt like, oh, like this burden has just been washed away. And then I realized that when I practiced on my own, even if it was just really small, like three minutes at home or five minutes at home, I could find that same kind of experience. And then when I was able to do that, I mean, it just changed so many things for me, like in my traditional work life and then also in my relationships and, you know, people that used to stress me out all the time, like they didn't have that effect on me. And they didn't change. The outside world is still the same. But I was different, you know? Yeah, it, it's this phenomenal feeling that you can get from that. And I always thought when you had to meditate, you know, that this was going on for 30 minutes to an hour. Yeah. And when I started uh, practicing with your guided meditations, you know, these four or five minute meditations, they fit into my schedule perfectly. But that five minutes is, is the most important part of my day now. And, and I've gotten to the point where I do it several times a day, once right when I wake up in the morning to kind of ease my mind. And then yeah. when I get off and come, come home around four or five o'clock and it's been a stressful, hectic day and it just immediately relieves all the stress and anxiety that I have. And then the rest of the day, it's like a brand new start. So it's, it's powerful. And it's like that feeling that you get when you're a kid on Christmas morning. I mean, you get this, just, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you never thought you'd get yeah. it back again, but you can. Yeah, absolutely. And what I love, too, about this this practice, you know, and, th and there are, like, lots of different ways to do it. And that's what's also cool is that, you know, I teach a certain way, and it totally clicks with some people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and if it doesn't click with a particular person, that's okay, because there are other teachers and other traditions, but it, I really think of it as a way to rediscover and access and train your own inherent superpowers. So it's not like, you know, me as the teacher, I'm not like giving you some special something, you know, I'm just kind of showing you like, look, here's some, some tools, some, some, you know, here's a way, like, let me just kind of guide you through this thing. And you yourself will discover what you already have within you, which is all of this, you know, power and capacity and resilience and peace and calm. And when you begin to access that for yourself, then you can start to apply it and create a meditation practice that fits into your life in a way that me as a teacher, I could never prescribe. Mm -hmm. Like I give you kind of the basic recipe you know, like the training wheels, the, just like the on-ramp, and then you just take it and you fly. And that's what's super exciting for me about doing this kind of work is it lets people, you know, discover something that they already have and then, like, go nuts with it. <laughs> yeah, 
you know, the first time that I did it, I got up and I felt, I, and this is not a lie. This is not made up in any way. I, I felt so energized and I hadn't run in about three months. I went out and ran four miles and oh, I, wow. I could never run without oh. music before. And I did not run with music that time. And I just kept focusing on my breath and breathing slowly. And it went by like, oh. like a breeze. And so from that moment on, I, I've been running and I don't run with headphones ever. And I just, it, it, it's wow. so much better. And I never understood how people could do that before, but, but yeah. it's worked out. It's fantastic. Oh, that's amazing. Well, I love it. Kim, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? There were a lot of different things. You know, for a while, I wanted to be a veterinarian because I loved animals and we had a bunch of animals and I mm. loved caring for them. Um, I think at one point I decided I wanted to be like a stockbroker and I, <laughs> I didn't really know what that was, but I, it seemed important. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I was born in the mid seventies. So like the media that I, you know, and, and the stuff that I was watching like in the eighties and stuff, I think it really glorified, um, like the, you know, the banking wall street, New York East coast thing. And I thought, Oh, that's where it's at. Um, and it's funny cause I've always, it's like, I've always been, uh, like a writer at heart. I've always been a creative person at heart, but it took me a long time to think that that would be something I could do like in a big way, <laughs> you know, it was like, Oh, like I'll be, you know, I'll be a veterinarian cause I like animals. I'll do, you know, I'll, I'll be a, you know, whatever, but at the, you know, like at the same time, I was always being a writer. I was always being an artist. I was always being creative. Um, but that wasn't something to be when I grew up because that's what's something that I was right now. I guess I thought that growing up meant I had to, to be different than I was as a child. <laughs> and in true. some, Yeah, and in some ways it's true, and in some ways it's not true at all. <laughs> well, we know that you grew up and uh, got into the attorney. <laughs> Feel a little bit. So yeah. can you take us down how that happened and the, the turning point where you decided that you were going to make that leap into yeah. teaching mindfulness mm -hmm. and meditation? Yep. So there are, are, okay, so there are a couple of reasons why I wanted to be a lawyer. And I'm going to be really honest here. <laughs> One of the reasons I wanted to be a lawyer was I thought, you know what? And at the time I was working in marketing. I was um, in like a, a marketing and brand development. And I just had this feeling that people didn't think I was smart. And this kind of bothered me. And I thought, you know, if I go to law school, people will think I'm smart. And they might think I'm a little bit dangerous. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's this, there's this, you know, like, there's like a little bit of a thing with lawyers. You, and, and this is still true to this day. And it's kind of fun. Um, because if I go, you know, and I meet somebody and they ask me what I do or they ask me my story, and if I say, you know, I was a lawyer or I am a lawyer, they go, oh, really? And there, <laughs> you can see them kind of try and figure that out because I don't feel like most lawyers. Um, and so part of it was this idea of like, oh, I want people to think I'm smart and I want people to be a little bit intimidated by me. Like I want to be powerful. And I also was still in my heart of hearts wanting to be a writer. And I thought, well, lawyers write. <laughs> like, that's a part of that job. So this will be a very practical way to employ my desire to write. 
And I will tell you, there are a lot of misguided writers who go to law school, I think for the very same reason. And I, you know, I learned pretty quickly that, you know, law school was amazing. It was, I learned a lot. It was uh, an incredible experience. But as I finished and I had, I had spent some time working for the public defender's office when I was in school and I had spent some time working in a judge's chambers uh, as an extern also in school. So I really got to see a little bit more of the inside workings of the law. And it occurred to me, I think I would be really good at this job. And I think it would cultivate in me characteristics I don't really want, like being very jaded and very cynical and a little bit hard hearted. Because I think that's what I would have needed to do to kind of survive and to sort of protect this more sensitive side. And I started to notice, you know, all the people who are lawyers, they all kind of complain about it and nobody looks happy. Yeah. Nobody looks happy. And I thought, you know, if that's what success looks like, I'm not seeing any role models that make me want to follow this path. So my first pivot was from law to publishing, and I worked in legal publishing. And that was, you know, like a good job that a lot of my friends were wishing that they could have. And I had a couple of kind of wake up calls that made me think, wow, this is my life. And I'm in a job that I can do, but I don't feel passionate about. And I want to live my life as if my life mattered to me. And this happened because um, there was someone in my office who was hit by a bus in the street outside our building and he oh, died. Wow. Yeah. You know, and we went to work, you know, we got, I got to work and there's, you know, the bus and there's police tape and it's like, Oh, there was an accident. Okay. Whatever. And you go upstairs and then the word circulates through the office. Like, did you hear like, that was like, that was Scott. And it's like, what? Like that was someone that I know. I just like walked by this scene and wow, someone surreal. that I know is like, it was it was really weird and it was just it was eerie you know yeah and then the other sort of you know well gosh it's like and then so you know a a year or two before that my aunt had died of cancer and so that had really also got me thinking about like what is a life for like what does a life hold and I started volunteering with hospice because I wanted to understand more about end of life since this is something that we all get to do one day, I wanted to know more about what is that like? And so I spent a year and change uh, sitting with people um, at end of life and just trying to provide comfort and support and just to be, you know, a calm and loving presence for these people. And that was an incredible experience. But then sort of closer to home, there was a relationship, you know, this, this man I had been dating and, you know, he was my best friend and we had talked about a future together. And one day he had kind of a panic attack and he said, no, like this is over. I can't do this anymore. You're amazing. I can't be with you. I need to go deal with my life. And I had not seen that coming. And that sort of shook me up like oh I thought we were going to have a life like together and now suddenly that vision is wiped away and then the last thing that really kind of shook me was my little brother right who's one of my favorite people on this planet um, he and his wife were riding bikes and he was hit by a car 
And oh, wow. it was a, a phone call from his wife to me. And her voice was, you know, all shaky. She's like, the ambulance is coming. I don't know how to tell you this. There's been an accident. Can you please come to the hospital? Please call your parents. Like, we need to go right now. And I was suddenly just, like, terrified, right? Yeah. And he's okay. Like, and they're expecting their first child this summer. So I'm going to be an auntie, which I'm super excited about. But, you know, it was these moments of, wow, like, I'm alive, like I am alive and that will not always be true. And you don't know how much time you get. And suddenly, you know, being in a job that was okay, but I was not feeling like I was growing. I wasn't feeling, I felt like I was going through the motions. You know, I had been there for a few years. So I was good at what I did, but I wasn't really growing in the company or in the role. And suddenly that was no longer okay. You know, suddenly my life felt really precious and really dear to me. And I thought, you know, I want to live it in a different way. Like what would happen if I did something differently? And that's really what gave me the courage and the willingness to walk away from things that were stable and known to me and to kind of walk out into the world saying, I don't really know what's going to happen next but I want to find out and I'm willing to trust myself and the universe and this ecosystem, this like social financial ecosystem that I'm a part of. And I'm going to find a way to be in the world in a way that feels like meaningful and good to me. So that's, that was kind of what happened. Well, back to the, Back to the creative sense uh, for this question, Kim. Yeah. If you could spend one hour creating something with anyone from the past or present, who would it be and what would you create? You know, <laughs> I would want to create a musical. Yeah. <laughs> I think I would want to create a musical with Stephen Sondheim. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's just done some really cool stuff, you know, and his work is so... Uh, insightful, you know, and it just it carries and shares so much about like the human condition. And I think it'd be, I think it'd be so much fun to do a musical with him. <laughs> <laughs> I could, I could, I could definitely see that. Yeah, being fun, probably more than fun. Right, and then you get to share it with everyone, like the singing and the dancing and like yeah. the curtains. It would be, it would be really fun. Okay, where where do you see yourself in the future? Where do you want to be? Mm, that's an, a beautiful and very interesting question. I feel like the future wants to hold for me. There's a part where I get to share more with more people. And so that's going to be like, ah, like leading retreats and, you know, and having the books out and having the different courses and programs and getting to work with people individually, but being able to, to be and move and live in the world in a way that allows me to do more of what it is that I'm doing. So more time for writing and more um, time to study with teachers who inspire me and more time to meet and connect with um, you know, people like you and your listeners and all of these other creative forces out there. Um, and some of that will be traveling and some of that will be hosting and some of that will be in SF 
and some of that will be offshore. But I feel like it'll be this combination of, 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 of creating, of output, but also of receiving and experiencing and bringing it in because it's this cycle that feeds itself, you know? Oh, definitely. Hey, Kim, when you were starting out and you took that leap from being an attorney to, you know, being a teacher in mindfulness and yoga and meditation, how did you go about really setting up that platform uh, to spring you into it and mm-hmm. be, you know, how did you sustain your living off these things that you love? Because a lot of our listeners, you know, they're in the thick of it right now and, and they really are struggling to find ways to bring in the money to be able to sustain the lifestyle that they want doing the things that they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. And I was just wondering if, if, you know, what you did in your particular situation. Yep, that's a great question. So part is I had started this kind of on-ramp long before I left my secure, stable situation. Um, and for me, that looked like I first started teaching and doing my, my first earliest trainings probably for, I want to say, maybe three years before I left. So, you know, I had my job and then I was Mm -hmm. doing this other stuff on the side. And that was great because I was able to explore and learn and start to figure out what is it that I want to share with others? Like, what is it that I want to teach? What is it that I want to create? And so, and then simultaneously starting to set money aside, knowing that there will be a day when I will need this (laughs) to help carry me. It's like you're building a raft yeah. You know, and you and you think like, okay, I don't know if what I'm building, if this raft can take me all the way across the ocean, but I'm gonna trust that it'll be sturdy enough and strong enough to bring me at least like I think there's an island out there <laughs> where I'll be able to like replenish and restore and then like get to the next the next part. Um, because you don't know. I mean, I didn't know what would happen or how long it would be before. I had like the finances coming in and that's still something that I'm figuring out, right? It's still unpredictable and I'm still looking to find for myself what is the combination of things that I offer that allows me to have that same sense of um, support and security and safety because it's really hard to be creative when you're really, really worried, <laughs> yeah, you know, like that can be really challenging. And the thing too for me was getting creative about thinking like, okay, I have this stuff that I seem to be good at. You know, people seem to really respond to the way that I teach. And how can I do more of that in different kinds of ways? And so part of that was really exploring and getting creative. Like, okay, I'm going to, I want to teach a group class. Where can I do that? Where can I find a space where I don't have to pay to rent that I can teach and have people, you know, pay me for class? And that turned into a collaboration with a, you know, a store downtown. And I taught there for several, several months. And it was like a trade where they got to have me as the special guest, you know, teaching a Mm -hmm. class that brought people into their space. And then they let me teach there for free. I didn't have to pay them to rent space. So there are these little, like these ways that you learn to exchange your value, your vision, your creation in the world. And then when I began to realize, oh, there's all of this technology and the internet and all these ways that I can share my teachings and classes 
Like you cannot come to my regular group class in San Francisco. You know, we've got a whole continent between us, but I could record something and then have that available for people. And then, oh, I could kind of package that. That could be like a class or a course online. And then people could have that too. And so part of, of figuring out, you know, how does the income work? How does the money work? Part of it is thinking, how many different ways can I give the stuff that I really want to give? And how can I give the best of this stuff in a good way? And also feeling like any other job I take, whether it's, you know, working in a bookstore or, you know, um, you know, teaching to executives or if I decide like right now what I really need is a, a steady paycheck to support like this venture that that's okay. Like it's not, it's not a failure. It's just, you keep finding ways to make it work. And let me tell you, like life wants you to be a full participant in this show. Life is like, please come in, engage and play and here are all these different ways to do it. So that's, that's been my approach. Well, absolutely. I think that puts so much value into our listeners ears. So thank you for uh, going through that. Uh, we are drawing pretty close to uh, the 30 minute mark, Kim. I know it's gone so fast. It's been so enjoyable, but I need to get into the closing questions because one of those three questions is the best question and it is the most exciting. So Kim, if you had to battle Godzilla, how would you use your creativity or talents to defeat that big bastard? I know. So here's what I would do with my talents if I was faced with Godzilla is that, and and you know this now, Heath, because you have had this experience in your own life, is that when you meditate and you feel really calm and relaxed, it affects the people around you. This is true, right? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so I would meditate with Godzilla and he would start to feel suddenly a little bit calmer and he wouldn't know why but he'd be like I'm suddenly feeling like I don't need to tear this city to pieces and then when he kind of settled down I would go and I'd give him a really big hug <laughs> perfect <laughs> that's how I would do it <laughs> that's I think that's what you, what you're doing for a lot of people because I know when I first started my anxiety and stress levels were so high and I, I thought well hell I'll, you know I'll try it out try anything to, to get rid of this. And it yeah. has just turned me into an entirely new person and affected oh. everybody around me. <laughs> Your um, inner Godzilla settled right my, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my inner Godzilla is happy and sharing <laughs> and feeding the homeless now. Oh, that makes yeah. me feel so good. <laughs> well, do, do you have any favorite advice, uh, resources, or, or tools that you'd like to share with our listeners? One of my biggest pieces of advice is to find and connect with people who wholeheartedly believe and support in you. And this can be tricky because oftentimes our family and friends, and they love us, right? Mm -hmm. Our family and friends love us. But they're, they can also be worried for us, and they can also ask us, like, well, why are you going to do that? Like, what about this? And they can introduce anxiety that is really not helpful when you're trying to 
share and grow the creativity that you're putting into the world. So yes, like, you know, accept their love, accept their encouragement, but it's really helpful to find other people, like new friends, new community of people who are also super on board and excited about what you're doing and who believe that it's completely possible. Because one of your biggest obstacles and I know this one because I deal with this a lot, but it's that inner chatter, that self-doubt, it's that little worry. And that's, you know, a big part of, I think, being successful and having, and having happiness and satisfaction as you go through this path, which will have challenges, but you need to really have like a team, you know, of people who you can really feel supported and understood and cheered on by. Well, definitely, you know, we like you were talking about earlier, we only get one chance at life and we're not guaranteed yeah. uh, when it's going to end. And so there is absolutely no point in being angry or hostile or mad at anything. Uh, everything can be accepted and, and, and passed and just live it out. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like one of the biggest aha moments I had because um, I had been really nervous about telling my parents that I was leaving this really good job. Um, and, you know, one of the things I realized is, oh, when your parents say things like, well, what are you going to do? And you should just get a job or you should just take do this safe, safe route or go back to grad school or whatever. Really what they mean is I love you and I want you to be happy. And they have a specific idea of what that will look like. But that's become a filter whenever someone, you know, that is close to me is kind of pushing me or, 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 or introducing worry or self-doubt. I just have to remember, oh, it's because they love me and they want me to be safe. That's why they're asking this. It's not because they're trying to push my buttons or trying to, like, tear me down. They just love me and they want me to be safe. Yeah, that that's so true. And before we go, I I saw this on your website and I love it. And I was just wondering if you could elaborate on the meaning of it a little bit, Yeah. but you wrote your time, attention, and energy are your most valuable resources. <sighs> That's why everybody wants them. So be mindful of how you use them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we have this like multi-billion dollar marketing and advertising industry <laughs> Yeah. and it's all about getting your attention. Everybody wants your attention, you know, everybody. And your attention is so precious. Like if you think, if you've ever spent time with like a two-year-old, the thing that child wants most is your attention because it feels good, mm -hmm. right? So your time and your attention and your energy, these are things that will always be demanded of you by your work, by your relationships, by society, by, you know, industry, by advertisers. People pay a lot of money, like that's what advertising is, is let us, we want to pay money for your attention. So be selective, be conscious, be aware of where you put that stuff because that you have complete control over and you get to decide where you spend it. And it's a very precious, precious resource. Well, thank you for that. And I'm, I'm looking forward to the books, the several books that you're going to be writing in the future and, and send it over here to uh, Kentucky. Yes, you got it. <laughs> over here into the Appalachian Mountains. You'll get it for sure. How can our listeners get in contact with you? So you can either find me on Facebook. 
I post really frequently there. I, I like to tell my friends and followers, if you want to brighten your news feed, follow me on Facebook. You can also visit me at my primary website, kimnickel.com. And if you're really curious about meditation and you just want to dive into that right away, then go to fivemindfulminutes.com and you'll learn more about my five mindful minute approach to meditation. Yes, and get get the la- get the app lift up and you can check that off every morning when you get done doing it like I do. <sighs> it's satisfying, right? <laughs> it is. It is. Well, Kim, thank you so very much for being on here and and sharing mm. your your journey and your energy and inspiring our listeners and it's been a pure pleasure. And I'm really, really excited to have had you on. And so thank you for being the Archipreneur now. And always remember to keep it heady. (laughs) Thank you, Heath. Thank you for listening to the Archipreneur Now podcast. For all the show notes and more information, please visit artsynow.com. That's A-R-T-S-Y now.com. Thank you. The music for this podcast was provided by Shaky Feeling out of Ventura, California. For more information, please visit shakyfeeling.com. Keep it funky.